0: Well, I'm planning on limited movement this morning, so this will be perfect. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we've been walking through the book of Colossians. And as we begin, I want to uh, just to remind you of a few things that, that Paul has said, whether you know it or not, where we begin this morning in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 is just past the introduction. Paul is now getting to the body of the letter. This morning, we'll get to the first imperative that Paul gives to the people at Colossae, and he will say to them, Therefore. Now, what do you ask when you see a therefore? What's well, it there therefore. That's right. And so we're going to need to know what Paul has already said. But Paul is going to say, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And this is going to be a summary statement for the rest of the entire book. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, behave, or live in him. This word is full of meaning. But just reminding you of some of the things that Paul has done already. Paul has been walking through his prayers for the Colossian people that they grow into the maturity of Christ. He gave an an old hymn, one of the earliest probably definitions of who Christ is in verses 15 through 20. Saying, he is the image of Christ. Of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. This deep just theology about who God is. And then he continues and gives theology about what Christ did for us. And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Then Paul walks through his longings for the people at Colossae. His desire to be with them. And Paul at one point says that he longs to see them grow into the maturity, the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment what it was like for the, uh, the people at Colossae as they received this letter from Paul. They've never met Paul. They received the gospel from a, a helper, a servant named Epaphras. And Epaphras delivered the gospel to them. But then they've heard about this man named Paul, the apostle of Christ who is spreading the gospel all over the ancient world. They've heard about him, but they've never met him. And so they, in their little gathering, probably not a bubble or anything like this, but more like a, church, a, house, a house church, they receive this letter signed by the name of the Apostle Paul. And they receive the letter, they gather the whole church together, probably not even this many people, they gather them together, and then they read this letter in the house. There are no speakers, guitars, none of, none of these things their candles lit, and they just walk and they read through this letter, hanging by every word. And up until this point, all they've heard is what Paul longs for, but at this point, they hear an imperative. They hear Paul say, now, this is what I expect of you. This is what you are to do. And so the rest of the letter is structured by a series of imperatives. And so this morning, we're going to get through several of those. I I hope to get from verses 6 through 23. Uh, We hope. So, we'll, we shall see. But let's, let's begin in uh, verse 6, and if you'll stand with me, and we'll read this passage together. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would... Fill me with your spirit this morning to proclaim your word and truth, Lord, to proclaim it clearly so that there might also be understanding and so that there might also be transformation, God, by your power. Jesus, that we might see you are enough for all life. You are all we need. All you have done is sufficient. More than sufficient. We Thank you. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as you can see, I hope that some of these things were familiar to you already as we've been walking through Colossians. Paul is coming back to the introduction and the theology that he's already given. And so in case you don't think theology is important, it's so important because where Paul gets the application for the people at Colossae is from the theology. It's because Christ has done this for you that you should walk in this way. And so theology is incredibly important here. But I also want to say from the outset that as Paul, he's going to get to the gospel so quickly here. So quickly. But is this the first time he's gotten to the gospel in the letter? Is it? No. Landon did an entire sermon simply on what God has done for us already in Colossians. And so it's here that I want to say the reason Paul mentions the gospel so much is because it's the foundation of all true life. It's the foundation of all true existence. That God created, that man rebelled, but that God is inviting all to himself because of his son's sacrifice on the cross. If you don't accept this, if you don't begin life with saying, Christ, Christ died for me. If you don't begin with this, you're on the wrong track already. Already. And so this is the foundation of all life. And so that's why Paul is getting to it so quickly in everything that he says. As we begin in verse 6, I, I want to just prepare you. A lot of this terminology is just loaded with meaning. And so we're going to have to get a little bit into the, what the words mean. But, uh, so just be prepared. Just bear with me. So, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The first point is going to be, as you started, continue. As you started, continue, right? If you're taking notes, that's the first point. The Colossians recognized and submitted to Christ as Lord. They received. Now, this, this word receive in the New Testament, it's also used to talk about a man who receives his wife into his home. He rejoins with her, and it's that biblical meaning of becoming one flesh. And so when we often talk about receiving Jesus, we think of we receive Jesus into our hearts when we pray the prayer of salvation. But the problem with that is that Paul says just very clearly, placing emphasis on the word Lord, you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Here's the point Christ can't be Savior if He's not Lord. What the Colossians did was just agree that Christ is king over all. And so as they came to him, they didn't pray a prayer of salvation. They prayed a prayer of submission to say, We agree that you are God, that we've sinned, and that you are king over all. And we want to come under your authority. We want to submit to your lordship. And so Paul could say very clearly, As you received Christ, as you received him as Lord in the beginning... So walk in him as Lord. So live in him as Lord of your life. The first thing. Secondly. Paul is preparing for false teaching. And so quoting a a commentary, he says, it is this central confession with all its varied and far reaching implications to which the Colossians need to return in order to ward off the threat of false teaching. If you don't accept Christ as Lord, you will be deceived. If you don't accept him as king over all things, you will be led astray. You will be led astray. And so the Colossians are to walk, they're to behave, they're to live in Christ and all that he is. Now the next verbs, rooted and built up. This is basically the rooted is a past tense saying you have been rooted. So the built up is a present tense. Since you have been rooted in God, continue to be built up in him. Can you imagine a man building a foundation and then deciding to build the house somewhere else? This doesn't happen it can't happen. And so what Paul is saying is you were founded in Christ. Your roots were made in Christ. So don't try to be built up in anything else other than Christ. Be built up in who Christ is. Continue in him. Next, as you were this established in the faith just as you were taught. It's as you were taught, continue being confirmed and established in the faith. Paul is saying Epaphras came to you and he delivered to you the true gospel. He delivered you the true word about who Jesus is. And so as you learned, as following the gospel required you learning from Epaphras who God is, continue to learn about who God is. This is an intellectual challenge Paul is giving to the people to say, continue seeking knowledge about God. If you're going to be rooted, more and more rooted in who God is, you're going to have to seek knowledge of who God is. It's going to require you to seek Him with your whole heart. And so, just a few ways that this happens to be established in God, to continue to grow in Him, is godly fellowship. All these yous in this passage are plural. And so what Paul expects of the people is that they grow together into a knowledge of who God is. And so, we, as we gather together, can hope to grow in Christ together, to be established in Him together. Godly fellowship. It's personal and corporate study. And this is why we have small groups. If you're not involved in a small group, are you expecting to grow up in Christ together with the whole body? This is why we do these things. So that we can grow up in Christ, mature in Christ together, so that we can continue to be established. Third, just obedience to Christ's mission. The way to prevent being captivated by false teaching is to be captivated by Christ. In obedience to Him. Just a practical one. When's the last time you went on a mission trip? When's the last time you witnessed to someone? You shared the gospel. The saving power of Christ in your life. How can you expect your faith not to dwindle? If you aren't willing to share it. If you aren't willing to live it. That's opposite of the gospel. And your faith will, be dwind- will dwindle. And Christ is not Lord. And so Paul is saying as you started continue in the faith continue to walk with him as Lord if we expect to be able to just pray a prayer of salvation and then just go on in life and be able to say that Christ is Lord this is this is entirely foolish this is not scriptural gospel this is not biblical gospel it's like the, the illustration that I showed you this word received, receiving the woman into his home, the man receiving his wife, becoming one with her. Men, how many of you can imagine getting married and then saying to your wife, "I don't really want to live together. I just wanted to receive the benefits of you know the tax credit, all that kind of stuff. I mean, your wife might think that's a good idea now, but then she wouldn't have been real happy about it. You can't determine yourself how you will receive Christ. You receive him as Lord, or you receive him as nothing at all. If he's not Lord, he's nothing. You can't decide by yourself. I'll just pray a prayer, I'll get fire insurance, I'll go to heaven, but I really don't want my life to have to change. Plus, that's, that's clearly what Paul is saying no to. He's saying, as you receive Christ as Lord, continue in this way, to make Him Lord, to submit to His Lordship, to all His authority, to all that He is. And so this is the summary statements for the entire rest of the book of Colossians. As you received Christ, continue. Continue, and this is my exhortation to you. If you have received Christ as Lord, continue. And the answer always, if Christ is not Lord of your life, is submit. Submit to his lordship. This is who he is. He is. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not at this time, the answer, the thing for your life is turn to Christ. Submit to him. Let's continue in verse 8. We pick up the second imperative. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. We're going to connect verse 8 in just a few minutes with verses 16 through 23. But here in verses 9 through 15, Paul is going to give the reasons that you should not submit to false teaching. And the second point, main point here is Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And so I want to show you what we're going to walk through is a list of what has happened through Christ. In Christ, these things have happened, and I'm going to give you a list here. One, you have been filled You have been filled in verse 9 through 10. For in him, this is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. See Paul's use of words here. Christ is the fullness of deity. You have been filled in him. And so the one who is the fullness of the deity has filled you. And thereby you have full access to God. Full access to all that God is. Why would you submit to some other false teaching about rules and regulations you need to follow to get to God when Christ, who saved you, is in you and you have full access already? Why would you submit to rules and regulations? Why would you submit to any other teaching? This is the teaching Christ died, comes to save you, in you, life. Why would you submit to anything else? Next, you have been set free from sin through his circumcision of your heart. Some of these false teachers were coming in and saying, you need this other religious marking. You need to set rules up so that you can keep yourself from following the flesh. And so what Paul's going to say is, Christ circumcised your heart, making you free from the flesh. You don't have to have the rules to get to God. God made you His by His own circumcision of your heart. And so what you really need is just Christ, which He's already done. He's already done. Next, you've been raised from death caused by your sin. God came and He raised you. Next, your sin, which was a debt you owe to God, Christ has paid for. I want to elaborate on this much more. It says in verse 13, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This set aside, it's like a legal document of a debt you owed, and it's just erased. It's completely done away with. Then when it says that he nailed it to the cross, you remember when Jesus was crucified, he had something nailed over him. Does anyone remember what that said? Jesus, King of the Jews. When the, cruci- during crucifixion, they would nail something over the people who were being crucified to justify their death, to say, this is what they did. And so basically it was, this man claimed to be King of the Jews. But as all of us know, it was just a, an attempt to justify. Jesus' death was never truly justified. But what Paul is saying here is that God nailed your sins to the cross, and so what was actually over Jesus' head was your sins. This is what justified his death was your sins. So your sins were nailed over Jesus' head, justifying His crucifixion and buying you. Next. And this is why the song we just sung, not the birthday song, but the one right before it, it as well, said, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. I bear it no more. Next, the power of darkness. In the last verse, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. The powers of darkness, visible and invisible, have been defeated in Christ. And the picture, here, the word here is he disarmed the rulers and authorities. It means he stripped them of any power. Because of your sin, Satan had power over you. But it says when Christ died, as his clothes were stripped by the Roman authorities, Christ was stripping the power from the devil over you. Every satanic force, every demon, all these things, Christ has removed any power they had over your life because he gave you life. Because he bought you. Because he made you his own. And so the false teachers were coming in, and they were concerned. They were uh, ridden with guilt because they didn't know what forgiveness felt like. And so they were concerned about these outside forces. And you see this a lot if you go to foreign countries. It's called animism, and they think that the rock has life in it or, or demons. And sometimes there are evil spirits in these places. But these peoples are ridden with just fear over these things. And so Christians can come in and say, Christ has bought us. The demons have no power. We have authority over them. And so this is why when Christ came on the scene, he's able to throw out the demons and the Pharisees said, this man teaches with authority. What's different about this man? And in you dwells the fullness of the Godhead. And you have power over all these things. And so the point, Paul is getting into this theology to say, why would you submit to false teaching? Why would you seek anything else if you have the fullness of God in you? And so, one writer says, all that human beings can know or experience of God is found in Christ. And so, Christians, simply by virtue of being Christians, have access to all this knowledge and these experiences. You're going to see these false teachers seeking experiences, these, these vivid uh, dreams and things, and boasting about these as their ability to access God. And what we're saying here is, Christ is all you need to access God. Don't seek anything else. He is the fullness of the experience. And so as you worship this morning, you're experiencing all you need. And so what we want to say is, if you're feeling like you're not getting enough of God, it's not because Christ isn't enough. If you're seeking more, and you feel like you're not getting, it's not because Jesus is not enough. Maybe you're seeking in all the wrong places. And where you need to remain, where you need to continue, is simply in Christ. And all that he's done for you. Now moving on to verses 16 through 23. We've said as you began continue. As you started continue. Second point Christ is enough. The third thing is going to be watch out for insiders and religious people. Watch out for outsiders and religious people. Verse 8 and 23, uh, 16 through 23 are connected, I'm going to remind you. Verse 8, see to it, no one takes you captive. The picture here is that they lead you away as a a prisoner of war. They've come in, they've presented these things to you, and they put you in the cuffs, and by these philosophies and these foolish teachings, they drag you away, away from Christ, excuse me. So, see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty, dece- empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Verse 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Galatians 4.9, Paul is very passionate about this false teaching. If you remember, we walked through Galatians several months ago, but Paul said to the people at Galatia Galatia, who were being told that they had to be circumcised to be believers, true believers, Paul says to them, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles? Remember that word? It's been said twice here. Of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. The point here is if you submit to rules, If you submit to these rules of do not taste, do not touch, you're submitting to the world and not to Christ. This is not Christ. Now, I also want to remind you, Paul doesn't mind people who choose not to eat certain foods or drink certain things. That's very clear. If you want to write down Romans 14, write that down and go read that after this. But what Paul says is... If people choose to not eat or drink certain things, that's fine. But what Paul is concerned about is people who would say, in order to walk with Christ, in order to be a believer, you have to not eat this and not drink this. What Paul is concerned about here is people saying, this is an obligation, this is something you must do. He absolutely desires self-control. He absolutely desires us to walk according to conscience, to love others and to not uh, do something that would make them, them stumble. But what Paul is getting at is these people who are coming along and saying, if you want to be a true believer, you have to submit to these regulations. You have to to submit to these things. And so, outsiders and religious people, here's what they do. Two things. They add to Christ rules and experiences as their way to God. They add to Christ rules and experiences as their way to God. Attendance of things. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, regard to a festival, new moon, Sabbath. The the food, the drinking, these things. These things, are the substance belongs to Christ. They also destroy the church. You see in verse 18, "...let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels." And then down at the bottom, 19, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. These people destroy the church through unnecessary and harsh judgment. They seek to discredit the faith of others based on these rules. And so if people come to you and they seek to discredit your faith because saying you don't do this, that's that's a sign. That's a bad sign. If people attempt to add rules to the faith that aren't mandated by God's word, that's a sign. We don't walk in that. That's not true faith. And so these people, if they add to Christ and they destroy the church. Now verses 20 through 23, Paul brings it back to the people themselves. And he says, watch out for yourself. And 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says, watch out for yourself. Watch out for religious syncretism. What Paul's saying here is watch out for when you try to combine Christ with these other rules and things like that. Syncretism is when we take our faith and we attempt to combine it with things of the world and try to make it better. And Paul is saying, that's not Christ at all. And so the question is, are you one of these religious people? Have you attempted to combine Christ with other things? Just this week, we were talking to uh, someone who goes to church here in the city, and he started talking about karma and how karma was going to work out for these girls who were saying something bad, and then him. Karma is not Christ. Even if we look at the world and we say, the, if this happens, this works out, if this happens, this works out. It, that's not the fundamental principle of Christ. Christ governs all things. And so if you're attempting to combine your faith with anything else of the world, you're denying, you're wrecking your faith in Christ. You're not saying Christ is Lord. So the last thing here, Paul says these things have these rules, these regulations, have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And here's where Paul turns things on its head. Because flesh, this word, is often just to talk about the skin. And so, but what Paul's trying to say is, the flesh is not just your outward actions, but it's your heart. And so we're reminded here of what Jesus said. If you've hated your brother in your heart, you've sinned already. If you've had adultery in your heart, you've sinned already. And so what Paul's saying is, these rules and regulations, they may help you outwardly, but your heart is still a wreck. These rules and regulations can't stop the indulgence of the flesh. And so that's why Paul says earlier that God has come and He has circumcised your heart. God circumcised your heart with no hands. He came and did these things, and these other people are trying to walk around with their hands and with different things, making rules for themselves and hoping that this gets them to God. But what Paul is saying is, you need none of this. Christ is your hope. He is the only hope. So, summarizing all of this, the summary statement for the whole book of Colossians and everywhere we're gonna go from here is walk in Christ. Paul's gonna give many more imperatives. He's going to say, set your mind on things above in chapter 3. He's going to uh, talk, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts. He continues with these imperatives. But these imperatives are just particular parts of the bigger command. Walk in Christ. Live in Christ. Secondly, Christ is enough. He is all you need for life and godliness. As Peter says. Third thing, watch out for outsiders and religious people who would lead you astray with rules to try to get to God. And then lastly, watch out for yourself. Are you one of these religious people? Is there some way that you've tried to create rules that help you get to God, when not counting just on Christ and His work, His salvation? And as we started with saying the gospel, the gospel is the fundamental principle of all life. Here Paul talks about philosophy and these types of things. And in our day especially, we associate philosophy with these academic principles and things like that. And there are many questions today going around, especially in our environment. Where, who, who created the world? How did God do it? And all these things. And you have many who are saying that there can be no God, God. It just came into existence and what Paul was want to say is if you don't begin with Christ who is preexistent, who did, who all things were created through, then you're off to the wrong foot already. If you don't see the world through this lens that God created all things and that Christ, he sent his own son to die for your salvation, if you don't see things through this lens, you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong track. And you will never be at rest. And you will be one of these who comes and tries to lead others astray. With your own philosophies of life. And so Paul is saying the true philosophy, the true life is the gospel. Is Christ. And so as we close. To the believer in the room. I want to challenge you. Be built up in Christ. What are you doing so that you can be built up in Christ? Are you meeting with the body regularly? Are you seeking Christ on your own? Are your roots growing deeper through obedience? Are you growing up in him who is the head? And to the unbeliever in the room, the answer is always turn to Christ. He is the king. And so the answer is submit, submit to his lordship. Submit to all that He is. And so I'm going to ask Joe to come, and he's going to play for us. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you'd like to come, if you want to talk after the service, whatever that may be, I want to give you the chance just to respond. Lord, we thank You for Your kindness again, that You've sent Your Son, and that He is sufficient for all things. Lord, that in this life, when we have questions about um, how to relate to people, Lord, how to lead our families. All these things, all these questions, the answer is in you. The answer is in your love and your deep sacrifice. The answer is in your forgiveness, Father, and your expectation that we would forgive as you have forgiven. Lord, may we be built up in you. Lord, I pray for those in here who might not know you, Lord, who may have tried to set up rules and regulations thinking that these things can get them to you. Lord, I pray that you would convict their hearts and that they would know that your salvation is the only thing that can give us life and that we need nothing else. Lord, may your truth speak to our hearts. We thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.